The testimony of Scripture is clear. Our hope as Christians is not for some disconnected, disembodied future where some inner part of us floats away, becoming an angel with wings, plucking on a harp on a cloud all day for eternity in a place where we may not know each other or even remember who we were before. Those are some of the images that we sometimes carry with us when we try to imagine heaven, but they come much more from Greek philosophy, or in modern days from the Looney Tunes, than they do from actual biblical depictions of what our ultimate hope is. No, the hope that we ultimately have is one of connection and presence. It's one that, much like Jesus's own resurrection from the dead, has continuity with what happened before, just as Jesus's body still bore the marks of his crucifixion, yet transformed in the most wonderful ways. And it's important that we realize this, not just so that we have the right facts about what happens after we die or when Jesus comes, but because it has such a big impact on how we see the lives that we're living right now. And that comes through beautifully in the final book of the Bible, the prophetic, apocalyptic book of Revelation, where it takes these themes that we see all throughout Scripture but presents them to us in a picture that makes it even more stunning and, if we'll have it, even more clear. Because in Revelation chapter 21, beginning with the first verse, this is what John saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There's a reason that we like to sing 
when we all get to heaven. Or how beautiful heaven must be. And certainly, the picture painted here for us of life in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, in the new earth, after Christ has brought about the final defeat and judgment of all that is sinful, of death and the grave, and we are ushered into life in God's presence forever. The picture that is painted here is stunning. It's a passage of scripture that's worthwhile for us to remember. When we're at the bedside of an ailing or struggling or especially soon to pass loved one who belongs to Jesus. These words can instill great comfort, great hope for what's still to come. Hope for being in that place where God by his very presence takes away our pain takes away our sadness, provides us with the comfort that we need. We're living with God. All our needs are supplied. Everything is beautiful. All that has been painful about this existence is at last overcome. And we get to be with him forever, drinking freely from the waters of life. Yet there's also some imagery here that is used that is important. For us to realize that these imaginings that we have about how beautiful heaven must be aren't just images for later. Because when the new Jerusalem is coming out of heaven, how is it described? As a bride adorned for her husband. And isn't that how other passages of Scripture Passages like the New Testament letter of Ephesians chapter 5 describe the church. And to be clear, not the building, us, the people. In fact, don't passages like Romans chapter 8 and many others describe the Holy Spirit dwelling in us? Passages like 1 Corinthians 3 or 6 describe us as being temples of God's Holy Spirit. When we become followers of Jesus, his spirit lives in us. His spirit is who makes us alive as individual followers of Jesus, but especially when we all come together in unity as followers of Jesus. Whenever we get that picture of drinking from the waters of life, isn't that how the Gospel of John described the giving of God's Holy Spirit is living water? that wells up to eternal life. When you read about how God meets our needs, comforts our pains, wipes away our tears, isn't that what we as Christians are called to do right now for one another? Isn't that what we as Christians are called to do as we serve as salt and light for God's world? As we serve as the body of Christ in this present age? Now, Revelation paints us a beautiful picture of heaven and how wonderful it'll be, but appreciate that that picture, much like Jesus' own resurrected body, has roots in, has continuity with our lives as Christians right now. When you belong to Jesus, 
When you have named him as your Lord, you put your faith in him. When you've been united with him in baptism to participate in his death, burial, and resurrection, when you're living by his Holy Spirit as part of his church, the transformation that he brings about in your life now is a foretaste of heaven. The peace that he brings to you, the comfort that he gives to you and calls you to share, the light that you shine into the dark places, the worship that you lift praising his name, all of it is a foretaste of heaven. It's bringing into this present reality what Jesus himself will ultimately achieve for eternity when he comes again and sin and death are at last brought to a complete and final end. You see, our future hope is not for something disconnected, different, where we're not even sure who we are. No, the way Scripture presents our future hope is one in which everything we do right now matters because it's advancing us towards that goal, a goal that it will take Jesus himself to complete, to fully realize in changing us, in changing this world, but every day of our lives until then, as citizens in his kingdom, as members of his body, we are working towards that. So how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we treat one another, how we live our lives matters. It matters also because of what John says next in Revelation 21 and verse 8. But as for the coward, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Just as living for Jesus now is a foretaste of an eternal life in his presence, living apart from Jesus is a preview of spending eternity away from him. You see, sometimes we accept frameworks of heaven where it's just all about us, where it's rooted in the hope that a loved one is okay, that a loved one is happy, usually thinking of it in terms where whether or not God was there is irrelevant to us. We like to Picture them getting to golf every day or enjoying that great big home shopping channel in the sky or whatever else might be true to our loved one and what they enjoy. But that's not heaven. That's not the real heaven because heaven is what heaven is because God's there, because it's God's presence that fills it with life. And we get to experience some tastes of heaven on earth when God is present in our life, when we're living for him. But if we're not, if we're using the precious moments of our lives differently than what God created them to be, when we're living our life in sin, going against his design, then if we've lived our lives here apart from God, we shouldn't expect that to suddenly change after our lives are over. Because heaven isn't about floating off to some nice place somewhere else. It is rooted in the lives that we live right now. And if we live apart from Jesus now, we'll be apart from him forever. 
And if we're apart from the author of life, if we're apart from the one who's the light of the world, the source of joy and peace and kindness and goodness, then what is that? But something that hurts, something that's agony, something that looks and feels and sounds and smells awful, like a lake of fire. That is the reality that's before us. Because what we choose now matters. And as the book of Revelation, as the Bible draws to a close, as it looks ahead to that future hope in which Jesus comes, it wants to stir in us a desire so strong to take part in that, that we participate in it right now, while also giving a warning that if we're not living with him, we won't live with him either. And that's a bad place to be.